guys aren't usually ready before I'm ready. I'm usually telling you guys to pipe down. <laughs> Must be hot out there. Must be hot. <clears throat> well, we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 20. I'm grateful that Reg was able to step in last week as I got to lay in bed and cry. Because I'd rather have my arm chopped off than be sick. <laughs> but that's what the Lord wanted for us, so. Let's go into a word of prayer, and we're going to jump straight into chapter 20. There's just too much to put off. we got a, a lot to sift through. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, and we pray that you would continue, as you're so faithful to do week after week, to pour into us, to water us, put us in sound, good soil, Lord, and then have us bear fruit. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to use that fruit for your glory and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, chapter 20 is not fun, for me anyway. Uh, it talks about warfare. It talks about battles. It's going to talk about one of the most difficult issues that people are going to bring up when it comes to the Lord our God in the Bible. That is, God is going to command genocide. He's going to command an entire people group to be eliminated. We're going to talk about why. Um, we are going to spiritualize some of it for practical application, but I do not want to shy away from exactly what the Bible teaches and why. So I don't want to ignore it as well. And I think it does us a disservice. And it, I think it also does a disservice to those people that legitimately bring up these questions. They need a real answer. They don't need to hear the fluff and stuff. So let's go into verses 1 through 4, and we'll see what I'm talking about. <clears throat> when you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. So it shall be when you are on the verge of battle that the priests shall approach and speak to the people. He shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart be faint. Do not be afraid. Do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let's stick to the context of what's going on here first, and then we'll digress into history and then a little bit of personal application. This is a unique situation with the nation of Israel and that God is sovereignly through his spirit, through the priests, through his leadership, guiding and directing these armies. He is going to personally prosper them. He's going to personally give them victories. And we get into the book of Joshua, we will see he will withhold victory as well. He will be executing his judgment on other people groups through the nation of Israel. He will also judge Israel for their lack of faith and disobedience. This is a unique time in history, and this is a unique people. And that is what God himself says about the nation of Israel, especially at that time. He says they are a unique people chosen by him. And he's using them as a light and an illustration. First thing that we know is a nation of Israel is used by God to preserve the Word of God, to reveal the Word of God, and most importantly, through their seed and through their people, the Messiah was to come, and He did. And now all people are saved through faith alone in Christ alone. Why were they chosen by God? 
Why these people? I have no idea. It starts all the way back with Abram. God decided to pull Abram out of that land and bring him to a land of promise. And by faith, Abraham went. And he was justified by what? By faith, not by his works. That's what the Bible tells in the book of Hebrews. And so there's going to be a lot of questions that the answer is, I don't know. And when the Bible is silent, we need to be silent. You know, when it comes to critics of the Bible and to the critics of the Lord, when we don't know the answer, stop trying to make up stuff. We just sound dumb when we do that. The, <clears throat> the mysteries belong to God, the Bible says in the book of Psalms. His ways are above our ways and beyond our finding out. Now, he asks us to seek. He asks us, and seeking you shall find, asking you shall receive. But he's talking about his son Jesus and the illustration of the word <clears throat> in our lives. I've got like three bottles. Appreciate it. Got one more. Got one more. Thank you. It's that bad. <clears throat> so, it's his will. And God sits in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. There are many issues that I say, I don't know, but I trust God. And so this is very important for all of us. When we get to a situation we don't know, stick to what you do know. God will bring you to the end of yourself. You will hear things like, well, God will never test you above what you are able. False. False. He will never allow you to be tested with sin above what you are able, but will make a way of escape. He doesn't say that you're going to be strong enough to handle it or that he's not going to break you. When Peter was crucified upside down, was anybody quoting that verse to him? When Paul was being beheaded, you can fill in the blank. I don't need to get more morbid than that. When the Christians were being sacrificed in the Roman Colosseum, were they being tested above what they were able? Absolutely. But God will never leave you nor forsake you. And the moment they closed their eyes here on this earth, they were in the presence of God. So what I'm getting at is there are going to be times in your life where you're utterly broken and you don't have an answer. And the answer is there is no answer. I've shared this story uh, plenty of times, and it's for God's glory. My wife and I, we lost two children. They were born prematurely. And I was sitting in that hallway, you know, being strong for my wife in front of the doctor is one thing. In the hallway by yourself at 2 a.m., that's a conversation with God that's real. Why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this? I know him. It's not like I don't know him. I know he's all-powerful, can do all things. He can save my child. He can raise the dead. He, he spoke creation into existence. So he is permitting this to happen. And the question is why? I don't have an answer. I will never have an answer. But I'm not one of those ones that feels like God's speaking to me all the time or that I can hear him, but I could feel his presence at that time, what the Bible says, a peace that surpasses all understanding. And I remember the Lord speaking to me. I didn't hear him audibly, but I felt an impression upon my heart. He said, you've lost your son. I have lost my son. I know how it feels. He weeps with those who weeps. He rejoices with, what he re with who he rejoices. What am I getting at? <clears throat> when you get to something you don't know with God, stick to what you do know. He's loving. He's just. He's righteous. He's perfect. And he may not reveal to you why you are going through this, why he allows it, why this is happening. So lean on. He's righteous. He's God. He's perfect. He's almighty. He's omniscient. He knows all things. And then you can stick to what you do know. All things work together for the good for those that love him. You know, later on, I realized that those children, 
entered straight into the kingdom. I'm the only one who's upset. Why didn't they get to suffer here on this planet with me? I will be reunited with them, and that's what um, King David was told when, it, when he lost his child due to a sin that he committed. It, w- it wasn't because of my sin. If it was because of my sin, I wouldn't be breathing. He, they, they came to him, and they were worried that he was going to hurt himself, so they didn't want to say anything that the child had died. And what did David say? He saw them. He figured it out. They told me that the child died. Yes, Lord. He washed himself. He cleansed. He got up. They're like, what's going on? We thought you'd like hang yourself or something. He goes, no, no, he can't come to be with me, but I will soon go to be with him. I go, eh, we'll be reunited. And I know that that situation was instrumental in my faith, instrumental into my discipleship, absolutely vital. God had to crush me. He had to allow me to be crushed to become the disciple, good, bad, or indifferent that I am today. It was a part of the journey. But you have to go through those things to sticking with what you do know. That was a long road. Uh, down a rabbit hole, but it's important for us to look at that because we're going to apply some difficult truths here. and We're going to see why those painful truths were important at that time because if you take them out of their context, it just doesn't seem right. Verses 5 through 9. <clears throat> and we'll kind of comment a little bit on the priest here in a little bit, but I wanted to go a little bit farther in the text. Verse 5. Then the officers shall speak to the people, saying, What man is there who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go and, be re- and return to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man dedicate it. Also, what man is there who has planted a vineyard and has not eaten of it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man eat of it. And what man is there who is betrothed to a woman and has not married her? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man marry her. Verse 8. The officers shall speak further to the people and say, What man is there who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return to his house, lest the heart of his brethren faint like his heart. And so it shall be when the officers have finished speaking to the people that they shall make captains of the armies to lead the people. So we have the, let's go back to the Israeli army at that time on the other side of the Jordan. They're getting ready to go over. Moses is now speaking. He's giving, he's reiterating the law. He's saying, when you go to battle, the whole time they're being told, you're going to war, you're going to war, you're going over there, you're going to fight, you're going to fight, you're going to fight. And God's going to deliver them into your hands. But they still had to do the battle. And we're not talking here about a spiritual exercise. We're talking about men taking up weapons and fighting in hand-to-hand combat to take land. And they're going to be God's judgment on certain people groups. And they're going to be told to do things. But what do we see here when it comes to battle tactics, when it comes to warfare and what God's telling them? What is some good strategy and what are some historical examples? Number one is saying you need to have a highly motivated group of people that wants to be there. Notice what's not being said here. Get as many people as you possibly can at force of gunpoint if you have to. Give them the most high-tech weapons you possibly can and then good leadership and this will lead you. No, he's saying, get rid of all the riffraff. Anyone who doesn't want to be there, send them home. Send them home. If they have doubts, send them home. If they haven't gone into their new house, send them home. If they've got a fiancé, send them home. They don't have kids, send them home. Does this sound familiar? Because later on in the book of Judges, we have Gideon. In Judges chapter 7, Gideon's going to bring an army of 32,000 people. And God's going to say, no, 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 you guys are going to think it's in your own strength. No, 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 you can't, you can't. 
They were outnumbered at 32,000. And so God says, that's too big. Send anyone who's afraid home. And then there was 22,000. That'd be 10,000 people left. They were scared. So there's 22,000 people left and 10,000 remained. But that was still too many. Sorry, I got my numbers mixed up. So I got to have notes. So they sent home another 7,700, which is an awesome story. So at the end, he only has an army of 300 against the Midianite army of 135,000. 300 versus 135,000. Yet all we want to talk about is the Battle of Thermopylae, like the Spartans 300. It's like, come on. If they could have had 32,000, they would have, but they did it. They had 300. But with God, they got victory against the Midianites. What are are we trying to say here, practically speaking? It is much better to have a highly motivated group of individuals that are not going to run away. Now, there's all kinds of strategy and tactics regarding this. Um, For example, if you have a line, it could be a line in modern warfare. It could be in ancient warfare. But if there's a crack or a weak point in your line and it's attacked, then your enemy can break through and they can get behind you and then you're going to be enveloped and then that's it. None of these men that are left are going to do that. They had their opportunity to bail. They know what they're signing up for. Anything recently happened where maybe, uh, I don't know, a force of people was given billions of dollars of equipment and training, but they weren't motivated to be there? And so the second that the people that are motivated to be there are gone, what happened? Whew. And there it went. And that's, that's not just one incident in recent history. What about a highly motivated group of people that are pretty well-trained, but best in the world at that time, maybe want to fight for 10 to 12 years in a foreign land, in a jungle, in uh, Asia, but then just say, you know what, we're done. We've had, a, we've had too much. And then what happened to them? We lost, and this is a gross overstatement, but I make it to illustrate a point. We lost that battle against a highly motivated group of individuals that was willing to sit in the jungle eating dry rice and having rusty weapons. It was, it was the willingness to fight, the willingness to engage, the willingness to endure pain, the willingness to outlast. Do you know that America's enemies have a saying? America's enemies have a saying. They have the watches, but we have the time. That means they got all the money and they got all the resources, but we're the ones that are going to outlast. That's what America's enemies say about us. Now, when God equips his army, we can't say it is just about motivation, though, can we? No, because I just told you earlier, God is supernaturally helping the nation of Israel win. You know, God has to literally be on your side. So then we get into a nitty-gritty. Is God with our troops when we are fighting overseas? Maybe. Maybe. I can only say with 100% surety that he was with the nation of Israel at that time. And that is sacrilegious to some in the United States of America. Did you know that many uh, Nazis or German fighters in World War II had God is with us written on their helmets? Now, we use them for the last 70 years as an example of absolute evil. But they said God was on their side. And I'm sure we had plenty of people that said God was on our side. Did you know that there were many communist soldiers on the Eastern Front that had their patron saints, they had their, uh, their, their scriptures and their people on their side? But they're saying that God was on their side. Everybody wants to claim that God is on their side. 
What's, what's the important thing here? That God is actually on your side. So I get a little nervous when we sing, you know, and God, God is on my side. No, we are on his side. We align ourselves with him, not the other way around. I have to point that out because we're going to have a very unique situation here, but we cannot always apply these Old Testament traits, these Old Testament situations to the United States of America or to, to our troops. Or to, now, God is always with individuals that are children of him. If you're a child of God, he is with you. But the Bible also says, you know, for our veterans and those that are still in, it rains on the just and the unjust. Well, when it's raining bullets, it means the bullets hit the just and the unjust both. And we don't often think about that. We say, well, why did God allow my son to die or my neighbor to die or why did he hit that IED? And this is what I'm talking about, the nitty-gritty, when the Bible has real answers for real things. We have a lot of soldiers, Marines, and sailors that are coming back at higher proportions than ever that have PTSD or what was formerly known as shell shock or any other name. Now, personally, I think that King David, if you look at the text, had some PTSD himself. But why is it that in America it seems to be, and I should say seems, because we're taking things at face value, right? We want to look at actual statistics and data, that our our culture proportionally has a higher rate now than ever in history. We knew that they had it in World War I. We knew they had it in World War II. And if you, th- if you don't think that's true, I'll use one example. Patton was almost fired on World War II in the Western Front because he smacked a GI that was having shell shock. He was in a mash unit, he was in a tent, and he smacked him in the face and called him a coward. And Eisenhower almost fired him over it. So don't believe all the propaganda. It's not like this just came out of nowhere. But I am going to make a personal opinion, observation, at this time in the, book, in, in the book of Deuteronomy, the nation of Israel, what did we see go first? The priests went out first. And they were going to speak for God. They looked at the text. They looked at the Bible. Is God on our side? Is this for God? And it wasn't always. We're going to see that with Achan in the book of Joshua. Not always. And then the officers would come along, and then they would say, anyone who doesn't want to be here, go back. Go back. So when you have a whole nation that supports you, and you have your faith, that supports you, and you've made yourself right with God, and you're right with your society, and you know why you're fighting, and everyone wants to back you up to the end, there's no questions. There's no question marks. In World War II, there was no question mark. We were fighting fascism. We were fighting evil. We were protecting democracy. When we go overseas and we say, well, we're fighting terrorism, and somebody says, no, we're just stealing oil. There's mixed messages. And then everybody here that was just, you know, eating hamburgers, talking about politics and watching footballs while, while your buddies are getting messed up over in the desert, and then you come back and nobody even knows you were gone. And then we wonder why our guys are messed up. Listen, when we get to those areas, the Lord has the real answers. It doesn't come from society. It doesn't come from our culture. It doesn't come from people. It definitely doesn't come from psychologists on the base that's going to drop a bunch of pills in your lap and tell you it's going to fix it. Only a personal experience with the true and living God. Because God, Deuteronomy chapter 20, knows a little bit about warfare. And the church wants to act like, well, you know, maybe, you know, God just loves everybody. He doesn't want anyone to get hurt. And then these guys come home, 
And they have to with their, be in it, knee deep into it. And they're like, well, the church has got nothing for me. The world's got nothing for me. Society's got nothing for me. Culture has nothing for me. All that sacrifice was for what? Not so here. So you can tell I'm a little passionate about the subject. We'll continue now. Verses 10 through 15. When you go near a city to fight against it, then proclaim an offer of peace to it. And it shall be that if they accept your offer of peace and open to you, then all the people who are found in it shall be placed under tribute to you and serve you. Now, if the city will not make peace with you, but war against it, then you shall besiege it. Verse 13, and when the Lord your God delivers it into your hands, you shall strike every male in it with the edge of the sword. But the women, the little ones, the livestock, and all that is in the city, all its spoil, you shall plunder for yourself. And you shall eat the enemy's plunder, which the Lord your God gives you. Thus you shall do to, do to all the cities which are very far from you, which are not of the cities of these nations. <clears throat> it's going to go even deeper, but this is what God is telling, telling them. Moses is speaking to them and saying, you go over that Jordan, you go over that river, you get to a city, you offer them peace terms, but they'll have to serve you. This is your land. God's given it to you. But if they don't, you go to war with them, you don't stop till every single male is gone. You can keep the women and children, you keep all their stuff, you eat their food. You take it all over, you absorb it. If you do that once or twice, what happens to the next city? And you offer peace terms. They're going to take the peace terms. They don't want to lose all their husbands. And they do it to the next town. Because the threat of violence has to be real. It has to be sincere. We keep trying to fight battles and wars with no, where no one gets hurt. We want to play tag football while everyone else is trying to play tackle. We cannot have it both ways. Modern history is showing us that. Now, am I saying that the United States of America should go wipe out another nation that ticks us off? Absolutely not. This is way more nuanced than that. But what I am saying is when you tell our boys, go over there, but if they shoot at you, you need to wait. If it's a certain building, you don't touch it. If it's a certain description, don't do anything with it. Like, then don't go over there. Then don't go over there. This is, this is nasty, terrible, evil stuff. Wait a minute. Are you saying that God is telling them to do evil things? No, no. But where does murder and death come from? It came from sin. There was no death in the world until man fell. It's man's fallen nature that brought death into the world. Not God. He didn't create that. He allowed it. He permitted it, of course. Nothing happens without his permission. But we need to know that they were told to, to get separate steps. One, go near a city, be ready to fight, be ready to fight with everything. There's no going back, no take backsies, no cowards. Everyone needs to be willing to do the deed. Number two, give them an option of, key, of peace. Don't back down. Peace is not so important that you're going to compromise your values. They need to give over the territory. They need to give it up. And then number three, you're going to place it under tribute. You're going to take it over. You say you're going to take it over, you take it over. Number four, we're going to see that you're going to besiege it. Besieging is not like it is on the movies. Sieging a town in um, Old Testament times up to the medieval period took years at times. And if you want to look at some very gruesome historical descriptions, 2 Kings chapter 6 
the people inside the city were actually eating their children because they've been starving for months and years. This is all in the Bible. This is so important for people to understand because they believe that the, barn, the, the Bible is just a bunch of fairy tales of happiness and fun, sunshines and be, uh, butterflies. And then when real horrifying things happen in life, like the Holocaust, like ISIS, like terrorist attacks, all the darkness that's in this planet, they say, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about that. No way, it's worse. It speaks on every area. And then you're going to get those questions. Well, why? Well, why? Well, why? Well, we're going to talk about that a little bit. But I want us to know that this is a horrifying world. It is not saran wrapped. What do I mean by that? When you go to the, the grocery store and you go to buy your steak or you go buy your vegan tofu, whatever it is. There's always a couple. I get the angry. <laughs> what do you go do? You, you got a, the, the meat's already cut. It's already primed. It's saran wrapped in plastic. And that's how we think wars are fought. That's how we think battles are fought. That's how we think the world is. We think that we just, hey, you know, we just want things peaceful and quiet. Little did we know until we saw that Netflix documentary how bad things are behind the scenes. And then we don't want to eat anymore because it's gruesome and it's nasty and things die and there's blood everywhere. And it's not for funsies. But it's how society, it's how we were able to sustain humanity for millennia. And then some people, they can't handle it. It's such a shock to their system, they don't want to deal with it. Ask our farmers here. The farm is based on death. Animals give life, animals die. They die prematurely, they die at old age, they're butchered, they're slaughtered, they're taken out. You give them as comfortable a life as you can, you take care of them. You get up every day, whether you want to or not, sunshine, rainbows, lightning storms, hurricanes, you got to take care of those animals. That's what real life is like. But then we went into the tough things of life, like getting old, people passing away, people dying of sickness, having pandemics, warfare, the hardest parts of life. And then we go to the saran wrap section and we're like, but I didn't know it was like this. But the Bible does. The Bible's been speaking to all of us from the inception of time. And we need to go there for real answers. But then we need to be ready to, to have those deep conversations. Like, hey, I, I maybe don't know the answer to this question, but I'm going to stick to what I do know. I'm going to stick to what I do know. This is supposed to be horrifying because man is not supposed to go to war. We are not supposed to go to battle. We are not supposed to sin. We're not supposed to murder each other. We're not supposed to pick up assault rifles, go to a parade, and start shooting people. But sin brought sickness and suffering and death into the world. But Jesus Christ is the remedy for it. Now, verses 16 through 18, we're going to get to the real tough stuff. But of the cities of these peoples, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing that breathes remain alive. But you shall utterly destroy them, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Just as the Lord God commanded you, lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations which they have done for their gods, and you sin against the Lord your God. Boy, it's easy just to skip over that, not have the conversation. But no, God said that it was going to be absolute genocide. You are not to let any 
one of their babies survived, their old men, their people, their women, their children, you are to go and to slaughter all of them. Don't stop until it's done. Can you imagine being, I want you to put yourself in those sandals on that side of the Jordan, sword in your hand, that's the order from God. It's horrifying. Sin is horrifying. But if we knew, if we knew, and I've used this analogy before, that we could go back in time and murder infant Hitler and save six million Jews, would we have done it? That's a moral conundrum. That is a horrifying question. And that's, what I, that's the whole point. It's supposed to be, guys. It's supposed to be. There are times in life where there are no easy answers. The Bible tells us that we should not drink alcohol. Let me take that back. We should not get drunk with alcohol, wherein is excess, right? But people are going to exercise their liberty and do it. They're going to exercise their liberty and do it, and percentage-wise speaking, marriages are going to get wrecked, families are going to get wrecked, there's going to be car accidents and DUIs, and if you drive 46 out here, what do you see? That big old billboard of that young man who died. He got hit by a DUI, drunk driver. What was he doing? Why? His family must be asking that question. Why? I don't know. If I'm their pastor, I don't know, but I'm going to stick to what I do know. But why didn't we just stop that person? You know that person was a felon? You know that person was on parole? You know that guy was a constant drug addict and alcohol? You can research it all yourself. It's all online. It's all public knowledge. Should we have taken tougher steps to stop it? God has a purpose here. The purpose is to stop the abominations which they have done with their gods, lest they corrupt and sin against the Lord. I'm going to tell you a secret that's not a secret. The nation of Israel is not going to obey they're going to lift their hand up. They're not going to slaughter them all. They're not going to go all the way through. They're not going to follow through with it. And it's going to lead to centuries upon centuries of innocent people, of people dying, of murders, of wars, of insecurity. And if they knew that they had just obeyed once on something difficult, that all those pain and suffering would go away, would they have done it then? Let me boil it down to something that's a little less heavy. Remember when we were growing up? Now, if your parents are in this room right now, I apologize in advance. <laughs> but your parents, your grandparents, they said, well, just don't do that. Do it like this. Just listen to me. Just do that like this. And you're like, no, no, I'm going to do it my own way. I'm smarter. And then you get older and you're like, why didn't I just listen to my parents? Listen, why don't you just listen to God? Look, you know what the sins are. You know you're fighting against the flesh. You know what you're trying to get away with. You know what you're claiming grace over. You know that life is difficult. You know that life is messy, and I'm going to tell you as a pastor, because I've been to too many people in the hospital, I've been to too many broken family counseling sessions, start doing what God says, because some of you are going to die of heart attacks because of your diet. Some of you are going to have serious illness because of your lifestyle. Some of you are going to fall into sin and temptation. You're going to get caught into adultery. You're going to destroy your families. It's all here. It's all here. It's not a saran wrap world. You're not promised prosperity here. You're promised to be in the kingdom. You're promised eternal salvation. You're promised that no matter what, it's all going to work for the good and the glory of God. But I've had to tell people, too many, I don't know why. 
God allowed this in your life, but he did. He did. Sometimes it's because we're stupid and we do dumb things. Sometimes it's unexplainable. We just don't know. Notice here, God wants to prevent, and that's what I want to get at to the why. God wants to prevent something from happening. They have to do this so it doesn't happen. They don't do it, and therefore it does happen. The nation of Israel throughout the Old Testament is going to be known as committing the sin of Molech with their own children. That comes from these people groups. The sin of Molech is sacrificing your children to a false god in the valley of Megiddo a trash heap outside of Israel. They would sacrifice children. Later on in the book of 1 Kings, 2 Kings, when the false god or the uh, bad kings come and they fall away from the Lord, directly related to them not being obedient here. Now, now we're going to make a spiritual application before we continue. Spiritual application is this. There are tough things that God is asking you to do and you don't want to do it. <clears throat> I'm warning you now. God is not mocked. That as you sow, that shall you also reap. You're fooling around, you're playing around with the fire, and then you're going to wonder why you get burned. And then, how dare you? God, why did you allow this in my life? You didn't want to do the difficult thing. You got, you got to do it. So get up and do it. He has given you the, the Word of God. He's given you the Spirit of God. He's given you a fellowship. He's given you brothers and sisters in Christ that will encourage you and pray with you. Fix it. Otherwise, I'll be there telling your spouse, I don't know why this, they, the Lord allowed this to happen to him. I don't know why this, the Lord allowed this to happen to her. <clears throat> I'll just let that, the Lord convict you where you need to be convicted at. Verses 19 through 20. Almost went to chapter 21. And then, then Mike would be yelling at me over here. Here we are, chapter 20. When you besiege a city for a long time, while making war against it to take it, you shall not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them. If you, can, if you can eat of them, do not cut them down to use in the siege. For the tree of the, field, of the field is man's food. Only the trees which you know are not trees for food you may destroy and cut down to build siege works against the city that makes war with you until it is subdued. <clears throat> Like, I, I don't get this one. It's like, murder the children, but, but leave the trees. Like, if an atheist finds this one, that's what they're going to say. And maybe man's not as important as we think we are. Our lives are but a vapor. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow, the Bible says. Our souls are eternal. How many hundreds of millions of human beings have been lost in warfare? Hundreds of millions. L young lives, just gone. Half of them were on the losing side. How tragic. One million men taken, uh, killed or taken in captivity by the, Germans, uh, by the Soviets, one million German men were lost in one battle in the bottom of Stalingrad. One million. A whole generation. Whew, gone. Do you know any of their names? Maybe we're not as important as we think. But here we have this reminder, there is a future. Don't ruin the future. The people need to eat of the fruit. I heard it said by President Zelensky just recently about Ukraine. He was talking about how the people of Ukraine needed to live 
to honor the sacrifice of those that were falling. That the nation of Ukraine needed to continue and to thrive and to live, to, to honor the sacrifice of all those that they had lost. Because the future does continue. One of the best pieces of advice I was given in one of my most difficult uh, moments was my grandfather, a man of very few words, very little comfort. You wonder where I get it from. And he said to me after we had lost our second child, he said, okay, but now it's time to go back to work. What was he telling me? Don't stay there. Don't, where you're at right now, don't stay there. Give, give back to work. When my brother died, they asked me what they wanted to do. I went back to work. Because to me it was therapy. I, it wasn't that I was dishonoring him. I just needed to be busy. I needed to get back into the swing of things. I, I didn't need to stay there. Now, that's different for everyone. But we need to be reminded that even in the darkest, most difficult things that we face, maybe plant a tree. Maybe think of the future. Start preparing for the future. What's next? Come up with a new mission. Did you know that in the nation of Israel since 1900s, roughly 250 million trees have been planted across Israel since the year 1900? It is the only country in the world that ended the 20th century with more trees in it than it had in, when the century started. In 1948, roughly 2% of Israel was covered in trees, and this has now grown to 8.5%. Because we talk about all the wars, and we talk about all the destruction, and the PLO, and the terrorists, and Hamas, and uh, Hezbollah. We talk about suicide bombers. We talk about who's right, who's wrong, who's sinful, who's on God's side over there. And they're still planting trees. And the future still continues. That's why when you get to something in your life, when you get to a situation, a real nitty-gritty situation, when all the fake Christians are gone, and we've lost, and we've hurt, and we've been beaten down, and something's happened in our life, and we don't have an answer, we stick to what we do now. God is righteous. He's perfect and just. His plan is perfect. It will not fail. He cannot fail. He'll never, you'll never be plucked from his hand. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's made a way of salvation to whoever believes. He's filled you with his Holy Spirit. And all things work together for the good for those that love him, no matter how tragic, no matter how blessed, because we serve the true and the living God. If we're on his side, we can't be defeated. If we're on his side, we can't be defeated. Though we be slain, though we be beaten, though we be trialed or persecuted, what can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Only you can. Only you can. So when you get to the hard things in your Christian faith, do it. Don't hesitate. Don't take your foot off the gas. Don't pull back. If he's calling you to purge some things out of your house, purge them out. If he's calling you to repent on something, repent. If he's calling you to die to yourself, to pick up the phone and call someone to encourage them, do it. If it's a personal issue, if you've got an, a, a, a frustration issue, an anger issue, if you're bad with people, if you're afraid of people, allow the Lord to do the work in you. Fix it. Stop playing around. Stop making excuses for it because you're withholding from the body of Christ. But you have to be willing to sacrifice your pride. Sometimes your feelings, sometimes yourself, sometimes your time, your efforts, your trust. Sometimes you need to sacrifice a piece of your heart 
but reach out and try it. See what the Lord does. Let's pray. And we're going to close because I went a little late tonight. Lord, we thank you so much for your, your grace and your mercy. And we pray, Lord, that when we're in those dark times, and those dark times will come, Lord, that we trust you. We trust you in the moments that we can't see and that we don't know and we don't feel, Lord, knowing that you sit in the heavens. You are in control of all things, the Alpha and the Omega. We yield to you and we pray for your victory. Lord, lead us to be on your side. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer coming up, pray with us. There is a prayer meeting tomorrow here. Uh, highly recommend it. If you want to be a part of the faithful few that we were talking about, get